Welcome to Black Family Table Talk. We are your hosts, Tony and Tony. Listen in weekly as we discover ways to build a strong black family. What are we going to discuss today, Tony? Today we're going to talk about parenting. So pull up a seat. I have my lemon flavored water. And I have my apple cider vinegar water. So let's go. Let's tackle this topic of parenting. Share a story with us about parenting. Well, I want to give us a little bit of background. We have four children. Child number four is our child born from the heart. We adopted him when he was three years old. And as a result of that, he has some challenges. And uh, he's 21 now. And he lives on his own. He works. But he does struggle with staying afloat, life. But we've, we've let him go. And we've decided that we would be there from the peripheral and through prayer and understanding. And it's tough to do that, but we will dedicate an entire episode to adopting black boys. I think that'll be where we'll share that and the challenges around that. Child number three just graduated from Hampton University. She has a degree in architecture and just accepted a position as an architect for the United States Navy Division of Capital Improvements in Engineering. And uh, so she'll be traveling up and down the Southeast making triple what I made when I graduated from college. Mm -hmm. She can pay us back. (laughs) But anyway, we're proud of that. And then child number two is currently a candidate for PhD at the University of Washington and her concentration is Applied Mathematics. Applied Mathematics. So she'll be Dr. Henson soon. She has two more years to go before she does that. And our child number one undergraduate degree. Oh, I forgot. She went to Spelman College. She graduated number eight in her class. And she uh, was also a presidential scholar at Spelman. So she definitely takes after my side of the family. (laughs) (laughs) And then child number one is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy. And he is currently serving as lieutenant in the Navy, stationed on a ship. Norfolk, Norfolk. Virginia. Norfolk, Virginia. So that is the background of our children. The story I want to share is one of the first decisions we had to make as a parent is whether or not we were going to tell our children about Santa Claus or not. And we made the decision that we would not tell our children that there was a Santa Claus. And so when we did presents and things during Christmas time, we would sign them from Jesus because we wanted that to be the focal point of our parenting. Yes. Letting them know what Christmas was about, what Christ was about, and what Christ done for us. And I remember doing that. And it was a great experience having the children open up their gifts. We would sit around Christmas time. We would read the Bible and talk about the birth of Christ and talk about the Three Kings story. So some of the things we did with them as children. But there was one particular time as they became young adults and we were sitting around (laughs) opening up presents And this time, we didn't have any presents. We gave them money for them to use only if they opened up a brokerage account. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Look on their face. (laughs) It it was so funny. (laughs) It was funny. (laughs) 
And that's a funny story I wanted to... They got, I think they got $50 each. Yes. And yeah. But they had to, in order to redeem the money, they had to open up a, a brokerage stock, account. A brokerage account. And, and then we talked about the importance of investing. Yeah, yeah. that was that was not a good Christmas for them. <laughs> I thought it was a great idea, but it wasn't a smash hit with them. So, Tony, you have a story to share? I have a couple stories, of course. You know, raising kids for 20, 25 years, it, there's a lot of stories. But I do remember one in particular when we had our oldest two in private school. Mm. When we were living in, in the Princeton area. And we had decided that, well, we had always decided that education was important. Because right after we got married, we both went to graduate school. You went to Seton Hall. I went to NYU. So, we decided that we would put them in private school. And... And all the craze was just having them in the best school. But it didn't turn out too well for us mm. because they were on partial scholarships. Yes. The, the school, so they were giving out scholarships and encouraging African-American students to be a part of their student body, which was the initiative of the new, uh, the head of the school, the school principal. And so we interviewed, we got accepted, our two kids, our first child got accepted, so the second child got accepted. So the oldest child, he was coming home and he was miserable, he was crying. And he said that this particular child in his class, and I believe he was in the first or second grade. No, he was in the first grade at first the time. First grade, right. Pulled him out after that. And yeah. And child punched him in the stomach. So I went to the teacher. I said, you know, this child is bullying my child. We need to figure something out. The teacher looked at me with the utmost disgust and said to me at that time, what do you want me to do about it? They're only in the first grade. Things are going to happen. So at that point, my response, calm and collected, said, if you can't protect my child, then I, I'm going to have to protect my child. And I'm going to have to do what I have to do. I expect him to be safe and learning here. So I remember at that point we decided, because it kept happening, we decided that we had to take our children out of that school. And I also remember that the principal was very upset and wanted to know why. So at the end of the day, what we found out was the child that was bullying our child was a huge benefactor of the school. So he was then able to get away with it and they were reluctant to let the parents know to curtail his behavior. And I remember him being very aggressive, not only to our son, but to other students. But yet they his money covered it up, mm. which, you know, is, is what we experience today in our society. So that was one of my stories. And I was so proud that we were standing up and advocating for our children. I was really proud of that because we said to ourselves, let's just take our child out and put him in public school and just manage it. There's one other story I'd like to add to that. Prior to us taking him out, the year before, we realized that the school was tracking our son and he was tracked at a low remedial level. Mm. And I remember that summer, mm. we decided to put him in the Afrocentric school mm. in Trenton. Right, right. I, I can't that. remember the name of the it school. It was like Emojo or something like that. But it was, they had summer school. Yes. Yeah. And our son went to that summer program. I remember that. Wow. And the program was so accelerated that when he came back the next year, all the material that they were working on, he had covered. 
a lot of the books he had already read during the summer reading program. And when we had him in that program, the confident level mm-hmm. of our son hit the roof. Skyrocketed. Skyrocketed. And this was an Afrocentric school, in, private school in Trenton. In Trenton. Mm. That summer program opened our eyes to the whole situation of private school versus public schools. We made the decision to pull our son out of the school after the incident, and we wanted we started supplementing mm-hmm. the education they were receiving in school mm-hmm. with our black culture and, and black history. And not have him be bullied. You know? Exactly. So, and, that, and that really worked out for us. Let me ask you a question. Based on our parenting experiences, do you believe now, because we did spank, do you believe that we should have spanked or... Do you think we could have accomplished what we accomplished without spanking? Wow. That's a good question. We started out with spanking, but we didn't stick with it. Mm-hmm. And I think we realized that our children didn't require spanking. Mm-hmm. And I know in my household when I was growing up, spanking was a big part of it. Very big part of raising children. Mm-hmm. And I think I got spanked until probably 11, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And I think we stopped much sooner than that. We realized that that was not working. Mm -hmm. And I remember you always saying, figure out what the currency is. Mm -hmm. And we started doing that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of lecturing and talking. Mm -hmm. So I've changed my philosophy. I don't think spanking is required or necessary. But I would say this. I remember spanking the oldest when he was six months old. And that was for... Nine months. He was nine months old. Nine months old. Mm -hmm. That was for... uh, I think he might have was playing with the electric... No, he he had hit me. Oh, he had hit you. Right. Okay. He had hit me. Okay. Wow. Okay. I remember. Yeah. That was the first time he got a spanking. First time he got a spanking. And And I think in that instance, he knew... He couldn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. There is a time you can use it, mm-hmm. but don't abuse it. Yeah. And I think there's a fine For a, line. a teaching point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's how I would address that. What, what about you? I think there's a fine line. You're right. We came to a point, especially with the fourth child, where we recognized that spanking was not getting it. I was actually watching Dr. Phil, and Dr. Phil was talking about disciplining children. And he said, figure out what the child's currency is. Currency meaning what do they value? Then you take that away. And that really worked. So if they valued watching television, you took the television away. If they value going outside, hanging with their friends. So Mm -hmm. getting to know them and Mm -hmm. figuring out their currency and then using that as a form of punishment as opposed to spanking. I do believe in spanking still. And I think that it works in the very beginning. I think from age maybe two. And I think they should get one swap for every year. That's my thing. And, but I think after age of seven or eight, it should stop. I know that's a very controversial subject. Absolutely. But I do believe that after a certain age, it becomes a diminishing point of return. Return. I, yeah. I would agree. And taking away television was a, a strong currency mm-hmm. for our children because as parents... Yeah. We made that decision as parents. That's true. You can only watch TV on the weekend. That's Friday, Saturday, and then a little while on Sunday. On Sunday. Yeah, that's so true. if you took that away, mm-hmm. that, that really straightened them up. It did. Yeah. 
One of the things I remember I used to do, we, we would clean up on Saturday. So everybody would be cleaning okay. up and I would yell out, drop everything and read. Yeah, and yeah. they would drop everything and they would be able to grab a book. And I think it encouraged and fostered a love of, of reading. And that was the best. And the kids would scream and say, yes, yes. <laughs> this is when they were really little, but it was drop everything and read. Drop everything and, and read. Was, that was fun too. <laughs> What was your biggest fear about becoming a parent? My biggest fear about becoming a parent was my boys being stopped by police. That was definitely a concern. And so, of course, we had to talk. Uh, my second biggest concern was drugs, getting them, them getting involved in drugs. Mm. We had a lot of talks about mind-altering substances and being able to perform optimally. Mm. What about you? What was your biggest fear? I don't know if I had any fears, but one of the challenges I had and what we always try to do is expose our children to different things mm -hmm. because I didn't want our children to, to fall into the trap of being like everybody else. Yeah. I preach to them constantly about being different, setting themselves apart. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it was a fear. I would say it was a challenge of convincing them that you can do more and be more than just following the crowd. And I think the, the oldest three took heed to that mm -hmm. and made decisions to set themselves apart. Because it's, it's peer pressure is, is real. It is real. And, um... That's a challenge for parents. How do you handle peer pressure? How do you deal with it if you find your children, friends have more influence than you have on them? Because mm -hmm. at some point, that's that going go to happen. Inevitably. Yes. And, you know, so the longer you can put that off, but you have to stay plugged in and, mm -hmm. and want to do it mm -hmm. as a parent. I remember the best lecture you ever gave them was just, it was just epic. I wish I had videotaped it. They were in preteen and teenage years and they were fighting for their independence, which they do normally. They didn't want us hovering over them, engaging them. They wanted to isolate. And we both understood that isolation means the devil's playground. That's right. So we stayed engaged and we always attended their events and supported them in their extracurricular activities like football and track and basketball and music mm -hmm. playing in the orchestra keeping them busy so yeah i think keeping them busy but not too busy mm -hmm. that's a whole nother philosophy yes because we wanted them to still be children absolutely so it was no more than one after school activity mm -hmm. and two at the very most uh because of course they had to focus on their studies and that was important being students to me was important and i remember time where you said you can't have it both ways either you want us supporting you and sitting in the audience when you're on the field or the stage or you want us withdrawn you don't get it both ways and they sat there with their jaws dropped because i saw them contemplating that if we withdraw then Basically, what they were doing, they was testing their security. Mm -hmm. And kids will do that. They'll test the security. And I think this is really important. We weren't interested in being their friends. Mm -hmm. We were interested in being their parents. Mm -hmm. They understood that it was clear. It was all or nothing. All or nothing. That either we're going to be plugged in their lives and supporting them, encouraging them, 
or we were not. Mm -hmm. Or you just get three hots in a cot until you're 18 <laughs> and you get out. And that lecture was epic. <laughs> and I think they understood at that point in time that they weren't getting rid of us and they weren't ready mm -hmm. to get rid of us. Well, I have to give you a lot of credit for handling that, making sure the children had an activity, in particular the summertime. We didn't always have a disposable income. We didn't have a lot of money, yeah. And you did a lot of research and, and finding leadership programs mm -hmm. that were free of charge. Mm -hmm. And our children got a lot of, out of that. Mm -hmm. You were very resourceful and very creative in finding opportunities that, caught, that were free or cost little or nothing that contributed to their growth as young adults. Well, when they were younger, it was vacation Bible camps. Yes. So those were free camps free camp. by churches. Mm -hmm. So I remember teaming up with um, some other mothers, and I was a stay-at-home mom. So I have to thank you for encouraging and supporting me because I had left the prosecutor's office. I decided that I wanted to be a full-time mother because I realized, wow, weight of it, raising a child. I would take them to a vacation Bible school, and I would take them to two, three during the summer. And then we would also invite their cousins to come to hang out with us for the week. Mm -hmm. So we always tried to have a lot of kids around and make it a fun environment. So those were fun times. Fun time. But when they started in high school, we had to start building a resume. Yes. And I had understood that they needed to build a resume because it's so competitive to get in college. And I knew that we did not have the money to send four kids to college. And that's, you know, another story about finances and managing finances that we talk about in other episodes. But I told them, you can do anything you want to do this summer. Go to the internet. You can go anywhere in the world you want to go to. And I promised them that we would find a way to pay for it. And, and I told them that if they didn't find a program or several programs that they could apply to, I told them that their job would be working in the yard every day. <laughs> <laughs> so they got on that doggone internet and one child went to camp to study Russian, mm -hmm. the Russian language. Yeah. <laughs> one child went to a uh, leadership program to in a Washington leadership DC. That's, that's right. right at Howard University. Mm -hmm. One child went to Boston mm -hmm. to study at MIT mm -hmm. uh, to study uh, architecture. Yep. That was that was the child number three. One child went to Peru. Another went to Kosovo. The baby went to Kosovo uh, in Eastern Europe. So they really took advantage of it, and we found the money. I mean, I remember us selling our furniture. Yeah, the fundraisers, that's right. We, well, we sold our furniture mm -hmm. so that the baby boy could go to Kosovo yeah. to raise the money for that. And then another one was a church member said, God told me to give you money so your daughter could go to Peru. And she handed me a check for $850. So God always made a way. Always and it was just, it's just incredible when you put your heart into something, how God will open up those doors. So to close, what is your parenting philosophy? What would you be, <laughs> what would you say would be your parenting, parenting philosophy? Parenting philosophy, wow. Figure out a way to inspire your children. Early on in my career, while I think I was still in graduate school, I worked for this organization called the Ready Foundation. Mm. Rigorous Educational Assistance for Deserving Youth. 
And the head of that organization was a former commissioner of education, Saul Cooperman. He said to us in a meeting that every child deserves to have at least one person in their life that's crazy about them. And that sat with me. It broke a cold, helped me to understand that that would be my philosophy as a parent, to be crazy about my children and to inspire them about something in life. Yeah. You know, the opposite of that will be all the negative things. Mm -hmm. And I think that doesn't bode well for raising children. Mm. But inspiring your children would be my philosophy as a parent. My philosophy would be to help them discover what their gifts are. Mm. First of all, children should not come to this earth with a job. They should come to this earth to be who God has purposed them to. And a lot of times they're born to fill a need from their parents, either to keep the marriage or relationship together or to make the adult feel whole. That's not their responsibility. To figure out what that child is all about and what their gift is. What do they do easy that comes difficult to everybody else? And then nurture it. That makes a happy child and a whole child. I agree. So, Black Family Table Talk. That's what's up. That's what's up. Tune in next week. We invite our adult children to come and hang out with us to talk about parenting from their perspective. I think it'll be interesting. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Black Family Table Talk. We pray that you heard some principles to put into your strong Black Family toolbox. Be sure to tune in next week. And remember, sharing is caring. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and visit our website at blackfamilytabletalk.com. Look for special discounts and ways to be part of the Black Family Table Talk community. As a part of our mission to do our part to strengthen Black families, we endorse small Black-owned businesses. This is our way of strengthening Black families economically. This week's Small Black Business Spotlight is on... Shea Shea La Femme Shea Butter. It's the best shea butter I've ever tried. And it comes in a variety of fragrances. Just visit our website at blackfamilytabletalk.com and you'll see a special link for a 20% discount. Under Section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976, allowances made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comments, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by a copyright statute that may otherwise be infringing. The news and opinions expressed on Black Family Table Talk do not necessarily reflect various platform posts. All topics are for entertainment purposes only. Discretion is strongly advised and all commentary is alleged. This is a Micah 68 Media LLC production.